Happy Easter, Pursuit family. I'm so excited uh, to be here this morning. I have been absolutely pumped all week long. Uh, if you are part of our family, you know uh, that we have been celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ every single day over the past week. We've got together every night at 8.30. We've gone live. We've worshiped. We celebrated. We had communion. We prayed together. Uh, we shared our testimony and our stories. Uh, we just did some crazy, awesome stuff, lifting up the name of Jesus and that's what we want to do again this morning. We want to get together uh, in the middle of this craziness, in the middle of this worldwide uh, pandemic, in the middle of all the struggles and all of the, the issues going on in this world. We took the time this week to make sure that the world around us knew that Jesus Christ is still the living, resurrected Savior King. It has been an amazing week uh, for me. It's been an amazing week for our team, for our core family, and I believe that God is just about uh, to blow our world up in a crazy, amazing way. I want to read a scripture to you this morning. It's Matthew 28, uh, verse 16 and 17. This is not a typical Easter scripture, uh, and this might not be a typical Easter message, uh, but I believe that God is just about to blow our world up. I think he's going to do some crazy stuff. I will pray in just a minute for you. Uh, as I read this, though, I want you to start preparing your heart and preparing your mind for what the Holy Spirit wants to teach you and wants to dig deep in your soul this morning. Let's read this, Matthew 28, 16, and 17. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. When they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. When they saw Jesus, some worshiped, but some were doubtful. Let's pray this morning. Father God, I come before you, Lord. I worship you. Father God, I trust you wholeheartedly with the fullness of my being, God. And I pray, Lord, right here, right now, that you will take this word this morning, God, that you have so powerfully spoken to us. Father God, that you will take it, that you will just pierce the hearts and the minds of every single person. Uh, Father God, that hears this message. Holy Spirit, that you will meet them where they are right there, right now, in this moment, God, that you will take your word, take your truth, God, Lord, and that you will just consume them, that you will set a fire in their soul, Father, that you will break down every chain, every wall, every ounce of uh, their being, Father God, that is hesitant and that is doubtful, God, and just fully worshiping you and fully giving themselves over to you. I pray, Lord, that you will move today. Father, we believe that you are the resurrected king of the universe. We believe that you are our savior without doubt, God, and we want to worship you this morning. I pray that you will just consume us, God, and lead us to a place where we can fully worship you in your holy name. Amen. So I want to take just a second, and I want us to step into this story. Uh, this is one of those, I believe all scripture is epically powerful, uh, but this is one of those scriptures uh, uh, that depicts a moment in history uh, that I believe uh, is an image uh, of history. It's an image of the world. Uh, in this moment, you've got, to, you've got to just step into this. In this moment, this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is after Jesus died on the cross for our sins. This is after the Spirit raised 
raised him from life and emptied the grave. Uh, this is after the resurrection. And Jesus met with his disciples, his core followers, uh, several different times. And right before the last time, he told them he designated a place out in the mountain range. He designated a place for them to go and to meet him. Uh, and they kind of knew, they felt this coming, that this was going to be the last moment that they saw or they knew Jesus the way that they had seen him for the last three years. Uh, and so this day finally came, uh, and Jesus told them after the resurrection, I want you to meet me out here in this place. And in uh, verse 16, it says that the 11 disciples that were left, that they got together and they walked out to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they got out there, they saw Jesus standing there. And their response was different. It says that some of them began to worship Jesus, and some of them were doubtful. When they saw Jesus standing out there, now I, I want you to just step into this moment. When they saw Jesus standing out there, these are the 11. When they saw them standing out there, some of them began to worship him, but some of them began to doubt him and to doubt the situation. This is one of those scriptures that's messed people up. This is one of those scriptures that actually creates some controversy uh, in the church world. And a lot of that controversy comes because people don't fully understand what that word doubtful really means uh, in that original language, in the way that, that it was written. Uh, in the Greek uh, New Testament, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And in the Greek, there are two words uh, for the word doubt. Uh, there's the one doubt uh, that is the doubt that we think of. When we see the word doubt, we think this is the, this is the thing. I don't believe it. Uh, I, I doubt that it's true. I don't think that it's real. Uh, when you doubt something or you doubt somebody, uh, you have this, this part of you uh, that's judging, that's picking apart, that's discerning something that they're saying or something that they're doing, and you don't think something's true. Most of the time when you see the word doubt in the New Testament, uh, it's this word. It's this idea that you don't believe something. And there's a lot of people uh, that think that in this moment uh, that some of the disciples are actually doubting as in not believing in Jesus, that some of them are worshiping, but some of them don't even believe. And this has caused a lot of issues. But the problem is, is that that word is not the word that means to doubt as in not to believe. There's another Greek word uh, that's disasto. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it, but I'm also pretty sure I have no idea. But there's another word that sounds like that. It's a word that's very rarely used. It's only used twice in the New Testament. Right here and in another account uh, with Jesus and Peter as Peter was walking on the water. And I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But this other word, doubt, this other word, doubt, doesn't mean you have an unbelief. It doesn't mean that you don't believe uh, something that they're saying or you don't believe uh, that somebody has done something that they said they've done. It's not that you don't believe it. There's actually a level of belief there. What it really means is to waver or to hesitate. And in its truest meaning, it means that, that you have an option in front of you or you have like two roads and you know that this road is the right way. You feel and you believe that this road is the right path, uh, but you're hesitating or you're wavering to fully commit to the road or to the path. This is the, this is the word uh, that when Jesus uh, was with Peter uh, out on the water, if you go through and you read the story, uh, one night the disciples uh, got out onto the sea by themselves after Jesus told them to go ahead of him, uh, and the storm came and the wind came, and they got trapped out on the sea, and the storm was raging, and they saw Jesus walking on the water, and when Jesus came close, they began to cry out, and then Simon Peter uh, asked Jesus, if it's you, command me to come out on the water, and Peter got out on the water after Jesus 
Jesus told him to, and he began to walk towards Jesus. And then it says that he began to see the wind uh, and that he began to sink, and he cried out for Jesus to save him. And when Jesus, it says that Jesus immediately reached out his hand and saved him. And what Jesus said to him uh, was, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? That is the only other time in the New Testament that that word doubt is used, the one that means to waver or the one that means to hesitate. And I'll use that example because it will paint a truer picture for you. Because Peter obviously believed in Jesus. He obviously believed that Jesus had some crazy power in that moment. It wasn't that he was doubting uh, Jesus as the Savior. It wasn't that he was doubting that Jesus was divine. It wasn't that he was doubting uh, that Jesus had power over the wind and the waves. Because obviously, with his own eyes, he saw Jesus standing on the waves. He saw Jesus walking on the water. And he believed so much that he himself got out of the boat and he began to walk on the water. So he did believe. When Jesus came up and said, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? A more accurate uh, translation of that conversation would be, Peter, ye of little faith, why did you hesitate? Or why did you waver back and forth between what you know that you already believe? He believed that Jesus was, had the king and power over water because he was standing on it. And he believed that if Jesus commanded him to walk on the water, that he could even walk on the water. So he believed in Jesus. He didn't doubt Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he saw the waves, there was something that began to turn in his heart and he began to waver between what he believed and what he was struggling seeing. And he began to waver. He began to hesitate to fully commit to the moment and to fully commit to something that he had just believed and that he truly did believe. There's another conversation uh, that Jesus has with a father of a son uh, who was uh, demon-possessed. And the father was desperate for his son to be set free uh, from this thing that was controlling his life. And so the father brought him to the disciples, but the disciples couldn't cast out the demon. Uh, and then later on, Jesus shows up, and the father uh, brings the boy to Jesus. And then Jesus kind of gets frustrated a little bit uh, in a loving way. And he says, ye of little faith, this, this generation, how long must I be with you. Uh, and then he begins to have this, this conversation with the father about belief. And the father says this famous statement that has lived on through the generations and through the ages. He said, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. The father believed but he knew that there was a wavering, that there was a hesitation to fully commit to, to fully walk in what he said that he believed and what he truly did believe. Just like Peter believed Jesus had the power over the wind and the waves and the storm. If he didn't, he would have never stepped out of the boat and he wouldn't have walked on water himself. But there was a hesitation. There was a doubt in him, a hesitation that stopped him from fully committing to what he did believe in his heart. That's what that word doubt means that shows up in Matthew 28, verse 17. That word doubt does not believe and un does not mean an unbelief. That word doubt has a sense of hesitation and a sense of wavering to it. And so now that I think that we have that understanding of the word, I want us to go back and I want us to look at it. Matthew 28, uh, 17 says, when they saw him, when they saw Jesus... They began to worship him, but some of them hesitated. Some of them wavered. Some of them 
doubted. It wasn't that they didn't believe that Jesus was Jesus. It wasn't that they didn't believe that he was God. It wasn't that they didn't believe that he was the Savior, that he was the Messiah, because all of those disciples had declared their faith in Jesus Christ. Even between the time of the resurrection and this moment, even the guy that got named Doubting Thomas, who stood in a room and questioned Jesus, and Jesus said, touch the holes in my hands and see. And when Thomas did, and he, then he believed and he confessed, Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my God. So everybody that's present in this moment, these 11 disciples, they believed in Jesus Christ. They believed that he was the Savior. They believed that he was the Messiah. Their faith was in him like so many of us, except that some of them were worshiping him. Some of them were bowing down at his feet, and some of them were hesitant to fully commit to fully lay down their life, to fully go all in, to fully worship this King Jesus that stood in front of them. And I can't judge these guys because I've been there. I was there for a long time in my life. The reality of it is, is that I did not go out and search for God and get myself saved. I wasn't looking for God at all. God in his love and in his mercy and in his grace, he came out to find me and he came out to save me. And when I was saved by the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and I put my faith in him and I began a journey with him, a life with him, a relationship with him, there were years where I fully, truly believed that Jesus was the King of Kings, that he was the resurrected Savior. But I struggled and I wavered and I hesitated to fully commit my life to him. And I know that there's a lot of you out there right here and right now, you've had a moment with God. You know that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You know that you believe in God. You know that you believe in Jesus, that he is the king. You know that you believe that he is the resurrected savior. You've put your faith in him. You're not religious. You're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But there is something inside of you that hesitates, that wavers between two thoughts and fully committing to the reality of who he is. And that's what, I believe the Lord wants us to look at for a few minutes this morning. That's what I believe. I believe King Jesus wants to uh, give a moment to everybody uh, in this room and everybody in the room that you're in right here and right now. I believe that King Jesus wants to give us a revelation of who he really is so that we can get past any hesitations, uh, so that we can start to live in this life worthy of him and give the fullness of who we are to who he is, that we could bow our lives down 100% that that we could worship him worthy of who he is, that we could say with our life, hallelujah to the king, the most high praise to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So why do you doubt? Why do you hesitate? Why do I hesitate? Why did these guys hesitate to fully commit and worship Jesus whom they did believe in? I prayed about this for a long time, almost two years now. I've wrestled through this, this scripture, this, this thought process of what it is to believe in Jesus but not be fully committed to him. 
what it is to believe and put your faith in Jesus, but not fully worship him and what causes that in our heart and our life. And recently God spoke to me and I believe opened up the door for me that's just changed the way I view things and to change the way I view God in general. And I believe that the way he used it in my life, I think that he's going to use it in your life. You got to step into this moment. You got to, you got to realize what they thought of Jesus and what they thought of the Savior. The truth is every body in Jesus's time, all of Israel, all of God's people, they believed in God. They had some level of a, even if it was a religious relationship, they had some level of belief and some level of connection with God. And everybody, including the Pharisees, the very people who handed Jesus over to be crucified, they believed in God and they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a savior. And early on, they hoped, even they hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Savior that they've been looking for. All the disciples that followed them, everybody had a level of belief in God, and everybody had a level of a thought of a Messiah and a Savior, and, and they desired it, and they wanted it. That's why everybody came to check it out. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and everything begins to switch and to change. They all believed in God. They all had a religious relationship with God. They had the rules and the follows, and there was, a, there was a level of dedication and commitment to God and the idea of God. And they were all waiting on a Savior. Then Jesus shows up, and the vast majority of people started to reject Jesus instead of accept Jesus. They handed him over to be killed instead of setting him on a throne. So what changed in their heart? What changed in their mind? What, what were they struggling with during the three years that Jesus walked on the earth? And what were the, even the disciples hesitant about right there, right there in that last moment that they spent with Jesus Christ? What, what was, what was the, 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 the thing that kept them hesitant to give him everything? If you really step back and you go through Scripture, you'll start to see something. That the Pharisees, even the disciples, even Peter, what they did is the same thing that you and I do. They started to create their idea of God. They started to create an expectation of who they believed God was and how they believed God would be and how they believed God would act. They started to create a religious system, a, a box of rules, uh, a box of, 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 of religious traditions uh, and, and rules that they would follow. And they created this religious system uh, and they believed and they expected that God, the God that they created in their heart and their mind, that he would come and he would operate within that religious system. They had expectations of, of what they thought that God would accomplish for them and in their life. They had a lot of temporary thoughts about the Savior. They believed that, that the Savior, the Messiah, that Jesus would show up on the scene and that he would use his power uh, to wage a political war with Rome. Uh, they believed that he would unite all the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees and the Zealots and all the commoners, that he would, he would unite all of Israel uh, and he would create a political army and that he would even raise up a military and that he would cause a rebellion and a revolution against Rome. Uh, they believed that he would come and he would uh, set... Uh, 
them free uh, from the chains of the uh, human masters that were over them. Uh, they, they believed that he would come and he would lift up the Pharisees, that he would lift up the priests, that he would lift up the religion uh, that they had created, that they had become so fond of, and that it would become the, the worldwide religion uh, over everything else. They had a lot of expectations about what they believed uh, that Jesus was going to do and what the Messiah would be like and what he would think like. Uh, and they, what they did was they created a little version of God. They, they took who they were, they took what they thought about life, and they elevated it just a little bit, and they created a God that was just a little bit smarter than them, they created a God that was just a little bit more powerful than them. They created a God that was just a little stronger, a little greater, but they created a God that had the same purposes that they had. They created a God who had the same ideas about life that they had. They created a God that would fit inside of a box. They created a God that could be managed. They created a God that could be explained. They created a God in their heart, in their mind, and then they lifted up this God uh, just barely above who they were, just barely above their own thoughts and just barely above their own ways. They created a little God and they believed in a little God and they were looking for a little God. And then Jesus Christ showed up on the scene. And when Jesus Christ showed up on the scene, they quickly realized this was not the Savior they thought he would be. This was not a Savior that could be managed. This was not a Savior that could fit inside of a box. This was not a Savior that would fit inside of a religious system. This was not a Savior uh, that fit into the mold of this little God that they were looking for. They had an expectation uh, that Jesus would come and free them from Rome, uh, but Jesus came to free them from sin and from the consequences of sin. Uh, they felt like that Jesus would come and he would set up an earthly throne, but we know why would Jesus do that when he's already the king of the whole universe? Why would he choose just to be king of an earthly kingdom? They thought that Jesus would come uh, and break the power of Rome over them, but instead Jesus came, conquered, and broke the power of hell that existed on the earth. They they thought that Jesus uh, would show up on the scene uh, and that they would give them a good temporary life. And Jesus came to conquer and kill death itself so that we could have eternal life with him. They believed in a little God. And when Jesus showed up, they quickly realized that the little God that they believed in and the little God that they thought Jesus was going to be, that this Jesus, that this king was so much greater and so much bigger and so much stronger than they could imagine. They did not know what to do with it. The reality of it is, is that those of us that hesitate to fully commit to God and those of us that hesitate to even believe in God, it's not because Jesus falls short of our expectations. It's because he operates so far past our expectations, we don't know what to do with it. it there's just this reality that we think that God is somehow smaller. The reality of it is, is that God is so much bigger than what we can imagine and what we can think, and we can't make sense of it, and we struggle with that. We struggle in a king and a God that we can't explain, in a king and a God that we can't manage. But I've come here this morning to tell you the truth about our King Jesus, that our King Jesus, he is the God that created the universe, that he was not a temporary savior. He was an eternal savior. And he didn't just come from Israel. He came for the whole world. And he didn't just come to conquer Rome, but he came to conquer hell. He didn't just come to set you free from the little things in life. He came to set you free from 
death. Jesus Christ came to save the universe that he created through the cross and he defeated death in the resurrection. Their problem was not that God was too small. Their problem was that Jesus Christ was too big and they didn't know how to manage it and they didn't know how to, what to do with the reality of who he really was. And so now you've got these disciples and a few of them when they realize this is so much greater than what I thought it was. He's so much greater than what I thought he was. They, for three years, they watched this man, Jesus, raise people from the dead and open up blind eyes and feed thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and a little bit of fish. They watched him. They watched him die on a cross in the most public way. And then they saw with their own eyes the empty tomb and now stood before them a resurrected living king who was God of the universe, whose throne was in heaven. And this earth was not just suitable. It was a footstool. It was so small and comparable to who they are and they started to realize this Jesus was so much greater this Jesus was so much stronger this Jesus I don't know what to do with him and some of them in his greatness in his power they bowed down and they worshiped him and some of them were hesitant to fully commit because they realized they would not be in control of anything they realized that when he came and asked them for their life, that he meant it. They realized that Jesus, their king, who they chose to follow, was far greater than they ever could have imagined. And they were hesitant. And this is the beauty about our God. The mercy about our king is that God will take that hesitation and he'll take that doubt and he will actually use it to drive you deeper into him. Now, I want you to know something. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if your faith isn't in him, and you feel the Holy Spirit, or you feel the presence of God, or you feel a tugging on your heart right here and right now, I want you to know that is God trying to get a hold of you. You're about to have your moment where God saves your life. You're about to have the moment where Holy Spirit moves in your heart, moves in your mind, and you put your faith in Jesus, and your eternity will be secure here in just a minute. If that's you and you feel that, I want you to go get alone with God right here and right now, and you just confess the reality of who Jesus is to you. Romans says that if we will believe in our heart that he is Lord and we will confess uh, with our mouth that he is the king of kings. We believe that he's the resurrected king and we confess that, that we will be saved in that moment through our faith in him. And I want you to do that. And if you do that, I want you to tell us about it. But to the rest of us, to those of us who our faith is in Jesus Christ, and we do believe in him, but we have hesitated in the course of this life to fully commit because truthfully, it scares us how big he is and how great he is. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. God will never fit into your box. God will never lower himself down to where he will be able to be managed or explained. Our king cannot help to be the creator of the universe. He is God. He is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. There is no one higher. There is no one greater. His name is above all names. And if you have had the privilege, the honor, the grace, and the mercy of the Holy Spirit revealing the greatness of Christ to you, and you put your faith in him, I want you to know every second that you do not fully commit your life to him, every second that you waver, every second that you hesitate, 
is a second of your life that you waste. It's a second that you will regret forever. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be praised. He is truly the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we've come here today to celebrate him and to lift him up and to worship him for his mighty deeds, for his actions, for the things that he has done for us. He came to this earth and died on a cross for our sin and he freed us from ourselves. He took on our wrath and our consequence. He freed us just so he could be in a relationship with us. He loves us more than we could ever imagine. He's greater than we could ever imagine. And right here, right now, Jesus is giving you another invitation to bow down and to worship him. And to tell him hallelujah, not just with your mouth, not just with the action of bowing down, but to say hallelujah to the king with every fiber of our being for us to walk and to talk and to live in a constant state of worship. It is time. It is this place in this history right now. We need the church of Jesus Christ to bow down and to worship him more than we ever have. We need believers to stop hesitating. We need people to live and walk, preach and teach and live like he is truly the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His majesty, his wonder, his amazement is beyond us. I believe God is going to let us fill him see him and have a revelation of him this morning. And when you do, when the Holy Spirit opens your heart and opens your mind, bow down and worship him. Stop hesitating. He's the king of kings. He is the resurrected king of kings, our living God. His name is Jesus Christ. Commit everything to him. Let's pray. Father God, I come before you, Lord. I lift you up and I worship you. Father, you are truly the Lord. You are Yahweh, the creator of the universe. You are the breath of life. You are the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. God, you are holy beyond our understanding. I pray, Lord, right here, right now, God, all over this county, all over this country, Lord, that you would draw your people to you, Father, that you will let us understand this truth, God, that you are not a God that will ever be managed. You are not a God that will ever be explained. You are not a God that can fit within religious systems. God, we have one choice and one choice only to fully lay down our lives and worship to you or to keep living a life of hesitation. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will break down the walls in our heart, break down our minds and let us know beyond doubt that you are the Lord God Almighty, that you are worthy of the fullness of who we are, God. We worship you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for our eternity. Oh God, that we would worship you every second of every day as long as we walk on this earth in your holy name. Amen.